0: Welcome to TechNado with Don Pezet, featuring CIS Admin expert Don Pezet, security specialist Daniel Lowry, and Peter.
1: Hello and welcome to TechNATO with Don Pezet. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and I am joined today by Don Pizzette.
2: Don, how are you doing? I am doing great. I am channeling my Christmas spirit. As we move into the holiday seasons, you know, this is our our last live episode right for yep. 2022 before we flip into our holiday episodes. so yep, it's,
1: fear um, not we have episodes the next two weeks yep. and they're kind of look backs and best of like you know when full
2: house goes on vacation and those kind of things
1: i
0: thought they were just gonna cut and paste a bunch of stuff together and make us sound like we're saying stuff. we might do there that too. yeah
2: but point is if we really want to screw up on air this is kind of the last, last
1: chance, chance for us oh, to do it this don't year don't worry all right. I, I like those goals. Daniel, how are you today?
0: I'm doing great, Peter. Thanks for having me back on the show.
1: Yeah. It's, it's... What do you want, man? What do you want from me? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know it was an option, but <laughs> it's good to know it is now. And we are joined today by our special guest. We have Jason Hicks, who is the Cyber Executive Advisor at Coal Fire. Jason, how are you today? Great. Thanks for having me. And we were just talking. You're in uh, lovely Arizona, which, like us here in Florida, really doesn't get into that Christmas spirit. Or, or It gets chilly in Arizona sometimes, doesn't it? They decorate it's the cacti. Snow.
3: Yeah, they decorate the cactuses and the palm trees. You know, it's kind of like LA, but uh, it gets cold at night up in the mountains, though. If you get up into uh, Prescott or Flagstaff, you know, they get snow and things like that. And the uh, occasionally, you know, it's still it's uh, it's very much a desert out here, so you don't get a lot of snow. But yeah, you know, it's a lot of you know. Think of the Corona commercial, right, where they got the Christmas right. tree all decked out <laughs> on the beach. You know, it's a lot like yes. that. Yeah,
1: you have more of a chance for a white Christmas than us, but yeah, a lot of cool things to decorate still. All right, well, let's get into our first segment and get to know you a little bit more with rapid-fire questions.
2: Who do you work for?
0: What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you?
2: All right, in this segment, we will rapidly fire questions at you, which, oddly enough, is where the title of it comes from. Uh, You'll have approximately one minute to answer each question. If you take too long, Peter will buzz you. (laughs) like, mm-hmm. like that? double buzz maybe even twice if it's really bad <laughs> yeah. uh so you'll get buzzed and then we'll move on to the next question and we'll rotate around between the three of us here to ask you questions the first one coming at you from peter
1: all right well i knew the name was uh familiar with coal fire because we i looked back and we had mike weber on about a year ago but for those that maybe didn't hear that episode or if things have changed can you tell us just a little bit about coal fire
3: Sure. So, uh, Coalfire is a, a full-service uh, provider of uh, cybersecurity solutions and compliance solutions. So, uh, everything from you know getting yourself certified, uh, you know against uh, FedRAMP or GDPR and the other uh, litany of regulatory certifications that are out there, or security uh, maturity certifications that are out there, and also a full suite of uh, cybersecurity services. You know anything you can think of from uh, AppSec to you know virtual CISOs.
2: All right. Now, you recently stepped into the role of CISO for, uh, for Coal Fire, and you are also the cybersecurity executive advisor. Now, CISO is a well-known title. We've, we've interviewed many over the years, but cybersecurity executive advisor, that one's new to me. So can you tell me a little bit about like what your role is?
3: yeah so you know my role actually is being what they call a field CISO over here at coal fire so uh, you know i'm a former cso uh, multiple times uh, multiple publicly traded uh, entities and they brought uh, a few of us on over here to work with uh, client CISOs to help them sort of maximize the value they deliver you know help them uh, craft more compelling messages to their boards and you know, help them get things funded you know be a sounding board for difficult issues but that's basically uh, what we're doing over here. So uh, not so much running their internal security program or anything like that, but working with Coal Fire's uh, clients at the executive level.
0: Now there's a lot of uh, different companies out there that are very similar to Coal Fire. What was it about Coal Fire that made you want to go there? Was it a relaxed hiring things or they don't do background checks no. and so you were good with that? What, what was it? <laughs>
3: Yeah. No, so for me, you know, Coalfire's got a really strong leadership team. Uh, you know, some of those folks I've, I've known for a long time. So that was obviously a big draw for me. I had very uh, high confidence in their leadership team, and there's just a lot of good energy over here at Coalfire. I mean, the, the corporation's growing. You know, the you know, everybody's hitting their numbers, things are, are performing well, and it's always nice to be part of an organization that, you know, it's performing well, it's growing, it's it's helping, uh, you know, people by delivering its mission. I think, you know, there's obviously uh, never going to be a shortage of cybersecurity problems to solve. And I, I think this is a really good place to, you know, be solving those problems from, you know, I have lots of resources uh, at my disposal to, uh, you know, get whatever I need done, done. And I, I think it's, uh, it's a really a good culture, good environment, you know, very uh, supportive, very empowering, uh, Environment, So I think it's uh, it's been a really uh, good company and uh, you know, I think it's, it's been a good uh, ride for a short time here. I think it'll be a good ride for a while. It's 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 an excellent uh, place thus far.
1: Very nice. Now you mentioned that you were kind of a, a virtual CISO before. Is there, I mean, that's great for certain companies. Is there kind of an indicator though, when you realize that you need to go to a a full-time in-house CISO, like is there kind of a metric you want to look at for that?
3: Sure. So, yeah. So I've been a full-time in-house CISO and I've been a virtual CISO. and And I think what really drives it is often, you know, the environment you're operating in. So are you a publicly traded company or are you maybe a large privately held company? You know, a lot of the uh, companies that don't have regulatory mandates uh, or drivers to have a full-time CISO often will have a pretty advanced security team and probably someone who leads that team day to day, but they may not have the, you know, sort of the executive interaction skills and, you know, you may not want to put them in front of the board and, you know, those kind of things, right? So typically, you know, you can get by with a virtual CISO at the uh, executive level in those cases, or perhaps, uh, you know, you might have the CISO running that team that's that's virtual if it's, a, a, you know, a smaller company that maybe can't afford a full-time CISO but you know generally when you get to you know a a sufficient amount of revenue let's call it I don't know maybe 500 million a year in revenue it's kind of hard to argue you don't need a full-time CISO unless of course you're privately held and don't have a particular you know, mandate that requires it. But generally your clients and your investors are expecting you to have somebody who's qualified sort of at the helm, if you will. Right. So it it sort of depends on how you want to deliver that. You know, in some cases it makes more sense to have a a internal person at a, at a better cost point and bring in somebody a real senior as a virtual person. In other cases, it just makes more sense to have your own person, but it's kind of a, a judgment call for the executive team and for the board, you know, where their comfort level is.
1: Yeah, if I had 500 million, I think I'd bring in like six virtual CISOs and <laughs> battle it out because uh, that's the kind of thing you can do when you have a It's like Thunderdome for CISOs <laughs> <Exactly>. or Congress. <laughs> yeah. or Congress. <laughs> yeah. So what would you say is the biggest challenge facing CISOs right now is, uh, you know, we're dealing with ransomware, we're dealing with COVID, we're dealing with all kinds of things. What, what's the thing that keeps you up?
3: Well, I think the pace of change is what keeps a lot of us up at night. You know, there's there's a finite amount of resources that we all have, a finite amount of funding and, and budget we can get. And, and probably the biggest challenge is just the the talent pool is not very, uh, very large, right? I was going to say not very deep, but there's a lot of deep talent out there. But, you know, there isn't a ton of, you know, quantity of that talent out there. So one of the challenges you have as a CISO is how do I keep track of the pace of change? How do I meet all the different challenges that are coming at us? You know, things change you know, on on an hourly basis in this industry, it's actually what makes it interesting, but it's also what makes it challenging, right? And how do you build the right team, you know, that's flexible enough to handle all those changes and, and sort of pivot and be able to call audibles on things uh with you know the staffing that you that you have and sort of how do you grow that team and how do you retain those people right i mean probably if you asked a lot of CISOs what keeps them up at night other than you know a potential breach or something like that it's how do i retain the talented people that i have and how do i keep bringing in you know additional talented people because there's just such a strong market out there for those folks that you know it's it's very challenging to uh you know, retain some of these people. I mean, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, take your, a lot of your security analysts, your vulnerability folks. I mean, they can go on Twitter right now and say, Hey, you know, I need a job. And, you know, they're going to have, you know, 10 people tweeting at them. You know, this is a real life example. I've seen this actually with some, some folks yeah. is oh, okay here. You know, I just got a job offer. Right. So I think it's, it's a very challenging operating environment for CISOs to try to stay abreast of everything that's going on. And then also to, to make sure you've got a strong team to continue to deliver your program.
1: See Don, I could just go anywhere right now.
2: So you, what are you doing to keep me? Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. What do I got to put in this tweet again? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What's the hashtag? I think
2: uh, I think your resume does all the work for me. Oh, thank there
0: you. you <laughs> Wait a second. Hey, like go, Coal Fire, day. man. They don't do background checks. Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: was my takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we want to jump into kind of our next segment, and I know it's uh, getting to be the end of the year, and we're talking about next year and, and what's going to happen, how the world's changing. Uh, so what do you see as some of the uh, your predictions for 2022, specifically, in the AppSec industry?
3: So I think, uh, you know, I already kind of beat the dead horse on, on talent, but I think that's going to continue to be an issue as we go into 2022. I think you're going to see more people outsourcing and you're going to see the folks that you outsource to also having sort of a, a challenging time, uh, maybe attracting and retaining those people. I mean, they do have an edge in the sense that, you know, you have more variety in the work that those people get to do, right? So it helps us uh, attract and retain people on a service provider level, but, you know, still there's, a lot of competition for those resources. So I think you'll see some you know, in-house training programs. A lot of a lot of companies now are standing up, sort of, uh, you know, let's bring people in, let's train them, you know, almost like an apprenticeship program for security people. And I think you're going to see more companies investing in that. You know, thinking, hey, this builds loyalty. It's going to keep people, you know, around our company if we invest in them, and sort of also gives us a, a ready talent pool to try to, you know, keep some of these people uh, around and kind of fill those gaps as we as they emerge. Right. I mean, ultimately, you're not going to retain all of those people, but Hopefully, you'll retain a higher percentage. I think you're also going to see a lot around supply chain security. You know, you see the executive order that came out on that. You know, they're basically we've seen some big breaches uh, this year that uh, you know caused by supply chain issues. You know, I and mean, uh, not to pick on Solar Winds, but that's probably the one that most people are going to be most familiar with. And uh, ultimately, a lot of organizations are you know are sort of not invested in enough you know appsec capability or software security. You know abilities in their sdlcs to be able to truly you know meet those requirements right and when you look at what the feds are going to be asking for you know if you want to sell me software you're going to have to certify that that software is safe right and and ultimately most people are not doing this to the degree of rigor that's necessary to be able to you know answer that question in an affirmative way right so it's going to have real business impact for people and i think that's what might not be immediately evident to a lot of people you know there's direct revenue implications on you know not being able to say yes you know everything's cool and we've got the appropriate level of security to these uh, these government entities And I think a lot of people may find themselves swept into that supply chain that maybe don't think they're part of it too, which I think is going to be really interesting. So, you know, you're a supplier to one of these software companies, or maybe you've written a library for them or something. And now you might have to have, you know, an extremely uh, high level of rigor in your, you know, STLC security that, you know, previously you just didn't have to worry about. Right. And I think, you know, if I got time for one more, the, the final thing I was thinking about is, you know, look at the, uh, all the API based apps that are out there now, right? You know, you had to sort of attack a website in the past, right? And, you know, maybe through a SQL injection, you could get some interesting data, but now that API offers that data, you know, as, as a part, it's a feature, it's not a hack, right? So, you know, assuming you can get the appropriate uh, permissions to get that data. So I think you're going to see a lot of people investing in, you know, how do we protect our API based, you know, applications and things that are native API based where before, you know, you had a WAF, you had a web server and you sort of might've felt relatively safe that you had all these different layers, right? Where now the, you know, business logic is right in the app, right? It's not something that uh, is happening behind the scenes. So if you can induce the uh, API to do some naughty things, you might get some really interesting data and make somebody like me get more gray hair, right? So I think it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not gonna be a fun time for, for that particular space, but it'll be great for the, you know, the application, like the API gateway folks and some of that kind of stuff. I know AWS and Azure both have a service for that. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other products out there too. So you'll see some growth, I think in that space too.
2: You know, it's interesting predictions because in the past, when we talk about like cybersecurity trends, it's kind of fallen on the security officers, like, "Hey, there's this new deep packet inspection on firewalls, or new intrusion prevention services, or or web application firewalls." Like you mentioned, were all the rage five years ago, but now almost everything you mentioned is really developer focused, like getting the developers not to screw up in the first place. To keep the attackers out, and so I think a lot of security professionals are going to find themselves in an odd position if they haven't if they haven't at least spent a little bit of time learning how SDLC is designed or or just any kind of secure coding practices. That that's where a lot of the focus next year is going to be on. I think we're going to talk about a few things in the news segment that'll that'll align with that. But it's a it's a good prediction, I think.
3: Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think you're going to see, you know, a lot of our existing practitioners probably came up on the network side. You know, the folks that that didn't come up on the dev side, to your point, are going to have a really hard time sort of, you know, dealing with some of these changes, right? It is sort of, you know... uh, Infrastructure as code is no longer a, a, a niche kind of cool thing that you hear about at conferences. It's like, this is now your operating model. So yep. you got to figure out how to do this. And I think there's some reluctance on some people wanting to sort of learn some of these things, too. I mean, I know we went through a big uh, digital transformation at a, at a different uh, company, previous career moment. And uh, we had a room full of infrastructure people and basically said, hey, we will pay for you to learn all this new cloud stuff. Right. This was, you know, four or five years ago. So back then it was like all this newfangled, you know, cloud stuff right like we'll fund all of your learning uh because this is where we're going like we're not going to have a data center in like three or four years so like this is happening and we want you to happen with us you know we want you to come on this journey with us and you know not maybe a quarter of that room raised their hand and said yeah i'll take you up on it i think the rest were on their phones going "Oh, i better find a traditional (laughs) infrastructure shop so i can find another job right last man once told
0: me never turn down a free education
3: (laughs) absolutely i mean think of all the money we all spend on whatever education we all have right i mean if somebody had you know at that point in my career you know a guy like me got up and said hey i'll pay five, 10, 15 grand worth of training. I'd have been the first guy jumped out of my chair. And I was really shocked at how few people were like, yes, I want to do this. And you've know, sort of, you got to invest in yourself, right? Especially with the rate of change we have in this industry. Like you just, you can't sit and idly buy, right? The world will just fly right by you.
1: Yeah, that's my prediction for next year. I think this cloud thing is going to take off.
0: I thought your prediction was going to be more people will not take free training. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> more people will turn down money. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, well, I uh, we want to get to a couple of things that are happening over at Coal Fire. So uh, you guys have a couple of new, new-ish new products that are out, uh, ThreatFix being the first one. What,
3: what is ThreatFix exactly? So threadfix is a really nice way of normalizing uh, and consolidating the data you get out of all your application uh, vulnerability scanning tools and, and not so much at the network level but at, you know your traditional you know app security you know appsec tools that you've got in your CI/CD pipeline right if you're like me you probably had three or, or so of these things and each one has a six figure price tag on it And you don't get maximum value out of them because your people are just overwhelmed with stuff. And then, you know, they got to go into the interface for each product and they got to learn the interface. And, you know, people just, you know, developers want to consume their, you know, Patch data and their their jobs basically in you know Jira or Git or whatever they're used to consuming it in. And what ThreadFix does is it'll take the data out of all three or however many scanners you have. It'll normalize it. It'll uh, label everything the same because the other fun thing is you know, vulnerabilities might have three different labels and three different scanning tools, right? So this allows you to have a concise you know normalized view of everything and then you can uh, through integrations you can then populate these tasks out to developers in whatever their preferred modality is right if you're a a jira shop it'll go to jira if you use a different back end it'll go to those so it's a it's a nice way to you know get maximum value and honestly the business case sort of writes itself because you figure i got you know three six-figure investments i'm probably only really using two of them, right? So now I can now use a tool I've already paid for, you know, by adding this to the mix, right? And I make everybody's life easier because they're not all trying to consume, you know, three different web interfaces that might not be pretty too, right? On top of it. So yeah. I think it's a win win for everybody.
1: And the other one was through an acquisition, uh, Neuralis. Am I saying that right?
3: Uh, yeah, so Neuralis. So Nuralis. the, the Coalfire uh, Neuralis platform, basically. So think of that, you know, if ThreadFix is on the AppSec side, you Neuralis know, is more on the uh, network uh, pen testing side. And if you think about it, you know, we've always had these these horrible Excel spreadsheets with, you know, a thousand vulnerabilities that some core team has to track and update and try to chase people for, right? So what this platform does for you is you can uh, load all your pen testing data into that platform and you can also uh, run, uh, it's got an ASM module, so an attack surface management module. So you can continuously scan your attack surface, all that data gets pulled in. Uh, you know, we, you can run pen tests through this platform. Uh, we've got a, ser- a services component to it if you want to layer that on where people can validate those vulnerabilities for you, or they can run Uh, full pen test for you. And again, all this stuff ends up in the platform. And why do I keep, you know, beating on that? You get out of the Excel vulnerability business, basically, right? So it's got a full vulnerability management uh, for these sort of vulnerabilities uh, tool built right into it, so you can run your remediations, your risk assessment of the of those various vulnerabilities, all in this one tool, basically, uh, for all your bone scans, your pen tests, uh, anything else associated to that. So it's it's sort of uh, you know one to rule them all if you think about it from that particular aspect of your security program. But you know if, if anything else, you know makes people's lives easier again if if you you know. You take nothing else away from it. It's, it's you're going to make your your vulnerability management team much happier because instead of trying to manage thousands of volumes in an Excel spreadsheet and chasing people to get those fixed, you can manage it in this platform. And then you've got hooks into again things like Jira and other tools where you can manage those tasks again in the format folks are used to receiving those tasks in. So it, you get a big efficiency gain, and ultimately, uh, you, you know your vulnerability management people you know are going to hang around longer because they're sure. they're not uh, you know managing that in such a painful way. Yeah, it's like highlander
1: one one platform <laughs> yeah. to rule them all it's always always comes back to that all right well uh we we want to thank you for for taking the time and also i should mention if you want to learn about all these things uh coalfire.com is the url so easy one uh not one of those weird dot io <laughs> dot cc
2: something so, and, and just so uh, we are you and yeah. uh-uh. just so we don't get a lot of write-ins on this peter was absolutely <laughs> mixing lord highlander and lord of the rings yeah, yeah. <laughs> right that's it yeah live long and live uh. <laughs> all right. Well, Jason, we want to thank you for taking
1: the time and joining us today. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, I know it sounds like you're a very busy person, especially, you know, being kind of newish in this position. So uh, thank you for joining us.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for your time. It's great uh, being here. And thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, no problem. And thank you all for watching. But stay tuned. We're going to come back. As Don mentioned, we got the news coming up right after this quick break on Nation with Don Pezet.
0: This is Kevin. He's studying online for a Microsoft certification and using another online IT training service. He's also on his second pot of coffee today to stay awake. And this is Kyle. He's also studying Microsoft but using IT Pro TV. Rather than watching a boring voiceover PowerPoint, he's actually enjoying the training with two hosts in an interactive format. Both Kevin and Kyle have access to virtual labs to practice tests, but Kyle can also get help through a live chat with other IT Pro TV members and his instructors, as well as post to a Q&A forum. He can even search for exactly what he's looking for in the interactive video transcripts, all while paying less than Kevin. Oh, and Kyle can also watch in comfort via Roku app. Kevin and Kyle are both learning IT. But Kyle is enjoying the journey. Want to be more like Kyle? Here are the plans to start your IT Pro TV membership today.
1: All right, welcome back to TechNATO with Don Bezette. And sorry for the long break there. I had to go watch all of the Lord of the Rings uh, movies. because penance. Me. <laughs>
0: yeah. Just yes, three like days do later. Two, <laughs> two Homeries and watch all three Lord yeah. of the Rings movies twice. Yep, And, and all five Hobbit movies. And every Dune variation. <laughs> That would be like six weeks to watch all that. Good. like Four hour movies. And. I, I remember I watched the uh, Star Wars back when it was just a trilogy. And that junk took a while. Yeah. And now, I don't think it's possible.
2: You watch all nine bad. of them or however well, many like they're would be all the I, I them
0: back when it was just four, five, and six. Yeah, I don't think could I do could. The, without falling asleep, like by the end would be tough.
2: I don't think I could watch that Han Solo movie again. That was, <laughs> was didn't like pretty it, terrible. I'm not <laughs> a fan. No. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a
1: look at the news uh, from this past week. And first is something we kind of touched on because uh, it was happening while we were recording yeah. last week. Uh, this says uh, this is from AWS, uh, from their own blog. It says summary of the AWS service event in the northern Virginia, which is U.S. East 1 region. And, yeah, that that was out most of that day, it felt like, when we were recording. And yeah.
2: Most of the, the business day in the U.S. East, which. So do we know what happened now? Yep. And that you, I generally don't like to report on outages like these until we find out what the cause was, because that's where we really learned yeah, something. Guessing, uh, so we do know now that you know, Amazon has released their findings of what happened. And what was going on is that you know when we interact with a cloud service like AWS or uh, Azure or whatever, there's the network that we see that's exposed to us, the customer. But then there's a private network on the back end that is disconnected from the internet that's available to the company the hosting company right so aws has that they're out of band management network that manages all of the hardware that our cloud infrastructure runs on top of well they sort of had a little bug in the way that their platform functioned on the back end but it went unnoticed for years so this this particular bug has been there for a long time and the right scenario finally hit where it was triggered. So, they, what they were doing is they were scaling up. They were adding more infrastructure into the environment to get ready for the holiday seasons because. Well, seems smart. Yeah, yeah. Online shopping picks up, Black Friday, all that other stuff. So, you know, they were actually kind of coming off of Black Friday. So, they were just yeah. kind of increasing more. And when they did that, some servers started doing reporting in, so new infrastructure comes up, it has to report in, and the system was getting overwhelmed. Well, when the system gets overwhelmed, you're supposed to have what are called back-offs, right? Where, like, if you fail to connect to a website and you just immediately retry, well, you and everyone else who's trying to connect is going to immediately retry. It's like a DDoS you, attack, essentially, right? You do a denial yeah. of service, yeah. So you normally have a back-off, which is a a time offset. Like, you say, I'm going to retry but at a random interval between one and five seconds. And then that way, not everybody's retrying at the same time. Their system had a back-off, but it wasn't coded properly. So it didn't work. And everything started retrying and they denial of service, their management platform, their uh, management network. Now, by doing that, that messed with their monitoring system. So they couldn't diagnose the problem. Like where off. it was coming from. <laughs> yeah. All, all of their diagnostic tools were basically kicked off by this. So the engineer's, had to just turn to raw logs. They had to look at the log files. Yeah, I I, I do (laughs) not feel So that's why it took as long as it took. So then they just basically cataloged. Yeah, they're fun. (laughs) Yeah, they they cataloged the traffic by what was generating the most traffic. The most traffic is being generated by DNS failures. And so they shifted that off of their management network but the problem was still there. So they had to basically keep going down the line until right. they hit the winner. And and when they finally found that out from their own uh, uh, scale-up activity, they were able to correct it and solve the problem. But it took hours and hours and ended up being pretty long. Now, what I thought was interesting was sites like the IT Pro TV website were unaffected by the outage. Yeah. Which are is on AWS. Uh, in the yeah. US East region primarily, that's where our, our uh, primary servers that's are. That's the key word, right? So well, you know, if you're multi-region and all, you can fail over. We didn't even have to fail over. Our resources in US East One were not affected. And so what it turns out is if you were scaling up, if you were adding more bandwidth to a load balancer, if you were adding more EC2 instances, then yeah, you were hosed, right? <laughs> but if you were just running constant then you were fine. And we do something, we automatically scale up. So as our traffic gets busier, we add more servers in, but we don't automatically scale down. We never remove servers. Like once they go in, they're just in there and, mm-hmm. and that's that, we can manually scale down, right? But big systems, you know, like when you look at a big company like Netflix, they automatically scale up and automatically scale down because they save millions of dollars a year, right? Yeah. We, we're not at that scale. So they would scale down and then couldn't scale back up. Uh, and that's what brought their systems down. They weren't able to perform, and you had an outage. I know what that's uh, like. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you just there, can't scale that. up. Got the
0: t-shirt, right? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, get a t-shirt. Yeah. Remember that time I accidentally miscoded that uh, logging system? That was fun. So, so this is probably
1: something that existed in all their other regions that they've had a chance to now proactively go and and take a look at
2: yeah because they they triggered the event by doing a scale-up on their back-end network Mm. and so if they had done that same scale-up activity in other regions this same thing would have triggered but the us east one is their biggest
0: busiest
1: data center i mean that's the first and foremost the default it's a
0: double-edged sword right What do you think the after action report looks like on that are they going all right from now on we try crazy stuff we go with, like, uh, you know, Southeast Asia yeah. or somewhere. In Thailand yeah. 4. In the yeah. middle of, like, 2
2: a.m. <laughs> well, so I, I, I bet, and, you know, this company has more money than yeah. anyone, uh, if they can send their CEO into space and stuff. <laughs> so uh, what they're likely doing is, hey, having an out-of-band management network is nice. Well, let's have an out-of-band monitoring network also. Like, let's just go ahead and, and add another one. Like, for a regular company, that would be an exorbitant cost. Yeah. For them it's like all it right the just, uh, yeah. they're yeah.
0: duplicating all their stuff on azure yeah right Every, now. all the uh, all the c levels go let me see what i got on me i mean i guess we can that right
2: <laughs> <laughs> can you keep it under a billion dollars yeah then Only i don't have to transfer 000. any money yeah. Yeah. yeah as long as you keep it under a billion i don't have to tell my wife yeah. billy what do you got on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. oh my gosh well that's
1: crazy uh, so yeah interesting to see i knew i figured by this week we'd, we'd you know because they do yeah. a pretty good job of telling you they what's do. going on so i appreciate the transparency there All right, next up, uh, let's head over to tomsguide.com, which that's a part of Tom's hardware, right? Yes. It's like his uh, gear and stuff. All right. Uh, Mouse movers make it look like you're working, and they're red hot with remote workers. And so this is for people that their company is actually monitoring to see if you're, if there's activity and if you're, if you're doing something, this, it's funny cause this reminds me, I uh, remember like the days of net zero and mm-hmm. all those kinds yeah. of stuff? Oh yeah. I, if you had a went active, it would hang you up. Yes. Yeah. I had a roommate in college where he had a, one of those plugins where it paid you to browse because they're giving you freeing ads. So he'd just leave, he got a, uh, it was oh, software right. at the time right. uh, Though mm-hmm. to move mouse.
2: So, so now it's actually, this looks like a hardware solution, right? It's both. Yeah, so, right? It's both. Well, you, you have options, yeah. right? So what's going on here is now that people are working remote. Uh, a lot of companies have started introducing monitoring software to see whether or not people are actually working or actually at their computer and being alive and and, and doing things. (laughs) If you take a look at like Microsoft Teams, for example, in Microsoft Teams, if you don't, touch your keyboard or mouse for a while, eventually it switches your, your icon from being available to being idle, okay. okay. right? Or maybe whatever. Away. yeah. yeah. Uh, so it just kind of depends. Well, also, if you're not touching your keyboard or mouse for five or 10 minutes, your company might have a power saving plan in place. So your monitor goes off. So if they know your monitor is off, you're obviously not working, your monitor is off. <laughs> and so what's going on is there's a range of devices that are out there to help people if they if they need to go take care of their kid or take their dog outside or whatever, they don't want to get in trouble, that they can trick the system by generating mouse movements. Now, there is software that can do this, but if you're on a company computer, yeah, you, you likely don't have that. permission to install the yeah. software. Or even if you did, your company's software inventory system would see that software <laughs> Let's running. let just
0: move my mouse app. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mouse jiggler. <laughs> yeah.
2: And uh, so there's also these little USB keys that you can plug in that do a virtual mouse, but pretty obvious you right. see it in the device manager okay. of the system that it's not a logitech it's mouse, mouse or, jiggler yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a have started selling these physical devices that sit underneath your mouse and they can just kind of kind of shake a rotate or tilt or whatever to slowly moving the there, like there's that? several yeah. different models that one really cool one has an led screen on it and by moving the led lights it tricks the mouse into thinking it's right. moving oh so it thinks it's moving across something yeah but it's yeah oh, i mean, it's, that's crazy they a surprising amount of sophistication has gone into this. And you when can do I this read with a belt sander, right? If you <laughs> <Yeah>. probably <laughs> hey, covered
1: it.
0: The yeah. Fastest mouse. It yeah. worked great for like five minutes. <laughs> right. and
2: then it's like, well, I got nothing left. I was thinking like,
0: like a <laughs> oscillating fan and just uh-huh. hook it to your mouse. <laughs> <Yeah>. But uh <laughs> I
2: I hadn't heard of this. And so I went on Amazon and did a search, and sure enough, there's like forty or fifty different types you can pick from that range from $15 all the way up to $30, $50, oh, hell, depending cheap. on how fancy you want to get. But uh, it's a whole new industry that's been created around remote work. I feel like you could do this with your pet, too. Just like it to Tie it to their tail <laughs> to their t- <laughs> or something. Or the toddler, like the kid that you have to oh, watch. Yeah. Just put this mouse. Now hold this, son. Now, my problem is I use a trackball, and none of these work with a trackball, so uh-huh. I'd have to
0: well i mean that's you use nice. a trackball when you're actually working well that's true <laughs> but you just plug in that logitech <laughs> See, I, I remember one time like my mouse uh,
1: died and because i've got the the magic mouse that yeah. the, the one that you have to plug in and and of course the plug is on the bottom so you can't use it while it's plugged uh, in. it is awesome so that's i remember like trying yeah. to learn at home all of the keyboard commands because i'm like i'm dead i mean i've got to keep working for a little bit so <laughs> so maybe i could just use that argument of oh my, my mouse wasn't but i I, I just know all the shortcuts.
2: So my, my son the other day was having problems. He was playing Fallout 4 on his computer and, and something was going wrong. And I walked over and he's got one of those fancy gaming mouse mice, mice, mice. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, it's annoying. I don't like to use the mouse. And so I, I do all keyboard shortcuts when I when I go to help him. Yeah. And it blew his mind. Yeah. He was like, how did you do all that with just the keyboard? And I was like, oh man, I you know, my first computer didn't have a mouse. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, we, we didn't always have mice. But today's generation mouse yes, doesn't work on boss. DOS.
0: Listen, son, when I was your age, we had these fancy mouse your computers. Yeah. i had to get a real mouse Tell him, step on that key. Oh, that would do huh. it
1: too. Like huh. a mouse and, and oh, with yeah. the wheel, you could probably
0: set something up with the the trackball underneath done. And the wheel <laughs> so is I I around. literally like heard and when I was in college, somebody had hooked up because of that very like net zero issue yeah, or whatever yeah they'd hooked up an oscillating fan That's so crazy. right and just like with popsicle sticks and tape and it would just so do that it, it would enough. like rah, rah, and it would just move the <laughs> mm-hmm. move the mouse non-stop yeah this, the software my friend had it was it was random i remember
1: that that was important to him because i i guess whatever company i, I don't know if they could actually track where Patterns, mouse was moving, yeah. but yeah you can was, yeah, i guess so. be a bit yeah. excessive but see, especially back in like 1998 and stuff yeah but. But I mean, he was making, you know, pennies an hour kind of thing, but he had left that computer on (laughs) all the time. I forgot about that. And that
0: zero would pay you. That's crazy. Mm. That's right. Good times. Good times. All
1: right. Well. Take me back. I've never heard of these things, Don, (laughs) and I do not have one. He works hard. And are we tracking to see if our mice are moving for our employees?
0: I don't Uh, know.
2: Are we? I, I don't know if we are or not but I can definitely tell you none of us
0: are bored enough to go and look at the yeah, data if it's yeah. there. So I'm concerned that that's not a definitive no Is <laughs> that, that, that what happened no? with like that bro- dude that hi, that like fired 900 people on a Zoom call? Oh my goodness, Because that guy. they were remote workers and they were like you're doing you're not working we talk like 2 about hours that last a day. Week? I don't, think we, I don't did. think we did. I don't yeah, think we did. That was better.com. Yeah. There's the video of it now like people people like
1: recorded
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I watched it. The guy was pretty callous and uh yeah. and he said productivity was one of the reasons they were releasing people. But, God, but uh, the December. One yeah. of the funny comments on it though, because the guy said, like, the last time I did this, I cried, but I'm gonna try and stay strong. And you poor some thing. People were talking about how how bad it was that he fired 900 people before the holidays, but this one was like a Reddit comment what I thought was funny. Like a lot of people are overlooking the the positive here that that he was able to overcome and not cry. I mean, that really shows some <laughs> development and strength. I mean, he's
1: shown growth. <laughs> what a hero. <laughs> yeah. Strength. What a hero. An inspiration yeah. to us all. All right, let's take a look at on do I, do I say Microsoft? On MSFT. It's on Microsoft. Yeah. On Microsoft, which is ON MSFT.com. Uh and and now I've got the next question. SIP? SIP S-T-F-U? What? That's the first word here. What? Sip. Oh, uh, SIP phones. Yeah. SIP SIP, <laughs> sip phones. Like, can I should really check these things beforehand. SIP phones can now support Teams calls with Microsoft's SIP gateway. And so clearly I'm not familiar with the
2: term sip but it's sure. something IP so uh <laughs> right sure I, I don't know what SIP stands for do you know Daniel
1: uh, I've
0: been trying to think I was thought have no I don't yeah whatever oh, session
1: init- uh, initiation protocol is what well, I go. get by reading the first line of the second paragraph Well, there the we way. go uh, is that it? it's not in the first
2: line that I'm looking at
1: for the second paragraph oh well. for those unfamiliar sip session initiation I, protocol phone, you know, I, th- I thought software IP our internet protocol telephones that let internet service providers integrate basic phone capabilities with email web live chat and other features via IP networks
2: well sip phones have been around for quite some time the original voice over IP phones needed a standardized protocol sip is what came to the day save, save the day and so um, that's what a lot of us have called it. Uh, other vendors like Cisco had other protocols like Skinny, which just over the years kind of were replaced, and SIP is the standard voice over IP protocol used. Well, Microsoft rolled out Teams calling several years ago, but it was proprietary. And so it was kind of locked in, even though it was actually using SIP, they weren't making it available for people to connect with. and. If you wanted to get a voice over IP, like a physical phone that connected to Teams calling, you had to get one that was officially supported by Teams, which means part of the Microsoft program and you know the, the vendors signed up for. So it had to be Teams compatible. If you just had a regular old SIP phone, couldn't connect it to Teams calling. Well, Microsoft has changed their stance on that and released a new product called the Microsoft SIP Gateway. You can add it to your Office 365 account and then you can use any SIP compatible phone, which is basically every VoIP phone on the planet. So if your company has a huge investment in Cisco phones or Mitel or, or whatever, then you can actually get those and connect them to Teams. Now, don't get too excited. Okay. The, the basic phone line functionality is going to work, but things like your address list, your speed dial buttons, those aren't going to work. Yeah. That's where you need to have a Teams compatible phone. So it's not perfect, but it does
0: allow you to continue to use
2: some hardware you already have.
0: Why the uh, the change of heart all of a sudden from Microsoft deciding to let everybody play nicely well, together?
2: I think that there really just wasn't a big push for them to do it because hmm. uh, they had to create a product for this. They had to create the, the Microsoft SIP gateway that you could deploy and they could charge money for. Yeah. So that's effort. <laughs> and they just didn't have enough customers. So they probably had some major government customer Go. that said, we need, need this, this.
0: Yeah. and that's why we have it now. Uh, yep. Well, the government's good for something, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> spending money yeah mm-hmm. they do enjoy that don't they <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool so they they show
1: a picture here with a cisco phone uh, with with teams on it which is kind of mm-hmm. neat but it, so is this
2: uh, it, the person in that photo says so i got to preview this is this out fully now uh yeah that the the preview actually happened a few months ago uh, i think far back in july or something okay uh so just now they're making it generally available so anybody should see that microsoft sip gateway as a new service in their office 365 account
1: very cool all right and uh What's not cool this week is who got pwned. So let's dun, dun, dun. take a look <laughs> at Everybody. That.
0: Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah!
1: Let's take a look at the blog at malwarebytes.com for this next article, and it took me a second to figure out why there were a bunch of snails as the stock photography at the top of this, <laughs> but I figured it out. And this is an updated article. The Log4J0Day, day log for shell get it, shell, Arrives just in time to ruin your weekend. So this, this would have been right before this last weekend. But it's continuing to ruin oh, people yeah. in, oh, in, in yeah. people's weeks yeah. now. So I, all I know is that this is Java-based or something. But what what's going on here, and, and who's this affecting?
2: All right, now normally when we say who got pwned, it's a specific company. But Daniel's joke a moment ago... Somewhat right, Uh, just about everybody. Java is a very common enterprise programming language. It totally sucks, but it's still used in uh, (laughs) lots and lots of places. Uh, So what happens is in Java, you have a number of standard libraries that are built into it. And one of them is a debug logging library. So if you want to generate log messages and send them to a central location, you can use this built-in functionality called Log4J. Unfortunately, it had a vulnerability in it. A security researcher found a way to exploit it, to take advantage of that, to execute code on the destination logging server, which is horrible. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they they shared that information with the parties that be. A patch was released. Uh, this was actually in the Apache uh, struts implementation of Log4j, which is used in a ton of places. And... The rest of us learned about it with a very short amount of time to go in and actually fix it. Uh, There are many, many attackers online taking advantage of this right now. Uh, One website reported that there have been over 840,000 attacks using the Log4j exploit uh, just in the last 48 hours. So So, so did these attacks start after
1: this was released, this was out, or did we know that people were already aware of this and using this?
2: Everything I've seen was that it's happened after the, okay. so the attack. I read an
0: update that said that the like, it looks like they have been exploiting this. The people that released the perfect concept and the fact that the um, it did exist, uh, that they had been exploiting it from earliest first of December. Oh wow! And then after it was publicly released, then everybody was like, "Oh, this looks good." Yeah. Uh, Maybe the people so that they discovered were like, it were hacked. Well, they were probably like. <laughs> Oh, this is awesome. Let me kind of play around with this a little bit. And See, then once works. I've pilfered the pockets of whoever, then yeah. I don't care. Then look like a white knight. Yeah. Come in. Oh, oh, so this one...
2: It's a big deal. Companies are rushing to fix it. You're likely getting emails from companies telling you their status because it's such a big deal, like it's made the national news and all that. Uh, Daniel, this is kind of
0: in your field. Do you want to give us a summary of how this thing works? All right. So what ends up happening is they're doing um, basically substitution. And in that substitution, so you you have like a variable, and I want to put stuff in that variable, right? I don't know what it is yet, but if I have an app that can take input from the end user, then I now have something that I can put inside of that variable, and there's a system that can do lookups, and it will do that using the logging mechanism, the log4j mechanism, right? So, what ends up happening is I go, hey, instead of looking up something on the server, why don't you reach out to this other server, which is controlled by the attacker, and it will get that information from there. So, once that information comes back, it goes, Cool. I will substitute with whatever's in this variable. It's commands. I will run the commands, and it just does that. So it's like a deserialization uh, <laughs> uh, attack where once it once it opens up that variable and it reads what's inside, it just goes, "Oh, I'll execute this." Why not? And, why? Because why the heck not? <laughs> and the security researcher discovered that it does that and goes, "Oh, this bad. This real bad." So anything I give it, as long as it can reach out and connect to my malicious server. So a lot of times I see this using an LDAP query. So you just stand up a malicious LDAP server. Once it asks that LDAP uh, server for the specific information you you asked it for, it comes back with your RCE. So, hey, open a shell, or copy this X, Y, or Z file, or download this file from another server. And These are the kind of things that can happen. Yep. And then there you go, it gets popped, it deserialized that, runs that command, and you have the ability to run and it runs at the level of that user. Now, these log systems a lot of times are centralized logging. So what's happening is is it's going back and running maybe under a seam system or something that's aggregating logs and most likely running with system privileges, yeah, root privileges. In, yeah. yeah. So no, you're totally poning people. So, so- if if I'm correct, this is something
1: like a hole that's existed for a while, just no one's discovered. Correct. right?
0: Right. Yeah. I th- I feel like that's got to be really
1: weird as a researcher to come across something like that because you're like, this can't be. Oh, you there's, know you're doing no you.
0: you're doing your root dance after yeah. this. You're like, Are yeah. you, am I the first? Am I really? The well, first what one you do is me? you yeah. see it and you go, can I can I do this? Yeah. And you go, hold on here, and then you fail, you know, a couple hundred times, and but you're you're convinced that it's gonna work. Then you go, okay, so I stand up this, and he oh, hell yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the root dance starts. And then you're, like, looking out the window, like, is yeah. the FBI coming? Did then they... you're, like, well, you probably do it against your own stuff sure. at first, okay. right? Yeah. You build, like, a test environment to see if it's going to work. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. And then sure, when it sure, does, sure. you go, hey, Minecraft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know,
2: that that actually highlights another point, which is this was a an open source library that's right. made freely available that had one person who was maintaining it. You said this uh, is Apache? <laughs> And yeah, yeah, in the Apache Foundation. Okay. And this one person, you know, it's not their fault. Well, I, I guess it sort of is, but <laughs> there's <laughs> one person doing work for free. <laughs> yeah. But then this Log4j functionality is being used by these billion mega dollar companies. multinational mega companies that aren't putting money into it. So, you know, it's not getting the, the, uh, Financial support, right. the security
0: rigor that we might see in other areas—that people are just not reviewing that code—and um, this is a supply chain attack. Because and this is what happens. Yeah, the, they are utilizing mm-hmm. something that they do not own. It's an underlying technology that they're leaning on, and that's why it's important not only to test your own stuff, but to test all the stuff that it support that is being supported right. by or yeah. that it supports that gets support from. dummy are, are you implying then that I mean these big companies should be?
1: contributing more to, the, to these open source projects? They
2: should. Absolutely. You know, open source is great because it, it is free. You can get in and you can look at the code. But right. it, you know, if you're using it as a commercial entity, you should give back. You yeah. should contribute right. back to some of the different products that you use. All right. Well, that's fun. Well, let's Indeed. take
1: a look at our last story for the day, uh, which is WTF. What the fuck? <laughs> Where did you get that sound bite from? Like? I just, I think I just searched WTF <laughs> on like YouTube or something <laughs> nice. and it was, yeah, I have to look back. All right. This one is from coindesk.com where I get all my news and my, and my Bitcoin related news. Yeah. It's important. My Dogecoin. Uh, McDonald's McRib NFT, which I can't believe like I'm saying that as a sentence, you know, it, <laughs> <Yeah>. those words. <laughs>
0: The McRib like, NFT. It feels like the end
1: of society. <laughs> yeah. We, this is what we're going to uh The McDonald's McRib <laughs> NFT project links racial slur recorded on blockchain. A company needs to weigh the risks and rewards when deciding to create yeah. NFTs. So. Are we saying that the McRib in and of itself is racist, or uh, th- this, this is a- <laughs>
0: The McRib is racist. Yeah, that, yeah. has it been me too
2: uh, or canceled? Uh, uh, I, if I had to pick one thing that was like the single dumbest technology of 2021, It would be the NFT, the non-fungible token. Agreed. These things are ridiculous. The fact that people pay money for them merely highlights how ridiculous our economy is. Uh, This is what's wrong with society. The NFT really summarizes it. But regardless, they exist. People use them. A lot of companies like the NBA have gotten in it. They've been doing NFTs on various seconds of basketball games. Uh, McDonald's has decided to get in with a McRib project where you can buy an NFT that represents... Apparently, a sandwich made of processed meats, uh, but, but shaped into rib-shaped <laughs> liquid into meat rib, poured into yeah, a mold. Yeah, uh, that Simpsons episode was hilarious when the they micro- did the I didn't see that. Yeah. Oh yeah, they, they show them like pouring it out of vats. <laughs> into <hut>. oh, that's <laughs>
0: awesome.
2: Anyhow, I'm to
0: get some McRibs.
2: Point is, this is built off of blockchain. And blockchain does a few things really, really well. And the the best thing that it does is it creates an immutable public ledger, which means a a record of all transactions that is completely public and cannot be modified. Well, when you make a transaction like purchasing or uh, selling an NFT... You can attach comments to it, and those comments become part of the blockchain. Oh. And so, someone did an NFT transaction for a McRib, apparently, uh, or you know, some McRib-related item. I never actually did <laughs> this
1: see that looks looks like McDonald's like actually originally was uh giving a, away these but it's these an NFTs. NFT
0: like that represents a mcrib sandwich yeah it right? said uh. it said
1: uh no purchase necessary a uh, chance to win one of 10 exclusive mcrib mfts came from
2: mcdonald's original well one of the recipients in their transaction comments used a racial slur okay and so now that's a part of the
0: immutable ledger which means it can never go away ever so i thought they were saying that When they got it from McDonald's, it already contained the racial slur. Yeah, it
1: says so, uh, an early transaction to what appeared to be the Ethereum address associated with the official McRib NFT collection contained the racial slur inscribed directly on the Ethereum blockchain.
2: Oh no, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, so that would. Oh, you know, it would make sense if they were using a third party to yeah, handle all this. I'm sure they hired a company. This. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't get so, that out of the fryer. Whoever <laughs> that company was must have uh, done some various things. And uh, now I will say that uh, obviously we can't say the racial slur here. I don't know right? what yeah, it what is. Is it down in um, this? <laughs> it was. It was not like a, a Klansman making uh, a statement. It yeah. was it was like something Tupac would say, mm-hmm. or yeah. you know. Uh,
0: Okay, I got you. I get where you're Um, going with this. So
2: it was a racial slur used in a friendly manner.
0: That makes sense. I I, I get where you're trying to go, but regardless of usage or
2: intent or whatever, because it's in the blockchain, it's there forever, right? It can never go away. Immutable. And now it's attached to McDonald's, even though McDonald's didn't do it. It's there. This is like on record, and it just it should be a warning. We've talked about this before. Like if you've been, especially if you're one of our younger listeners, if you've been on the internet your whole life. There are things you've done when you were 12 or 14. The internet never forgets. They'll still be there when yeah. you're 60 years old or when you're 40 years old, applying to become a manager at a company or something.
0: It, yeah, that, that history is still there. I don't know if you've noticed we, this. People like to dig that stuff up and then use it to beat you with. Well, yeah, and, we have a whole segment <laughs> called Milkshake Duck. Yeah, yeah we do. And, about and that. you can do right to forget
2: requests. In theory, you could say, like, I'm going to take a week off of work and focus on expunging my history. <laughs> Let me get all these frat parties or whatever yeah. out of the... I didn't go to frat Is that, parties, is that yeah. a
1: company that There's yeah. there? That
0: do that I'm sure play. there are. Yeah, That's a great idea. Like but if it's in the man.
2: blockchain, you're mm. out of luck. Yeah. Because then what you would have to do is you have to say, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get enough processing power to take over 51% of the the mining pool for that blockchain, and then I can remove those records. Now, what, what if you bought
1: that uh, that NFT? then could you delete you that can only and add from to the it. world no okay
2: no nope. I mean, you know you're now on the blockchain as, as, as the new owner or a link in it you could add your own racial slur if you want what if i print it out <laughs> i want to print out this nft <laughs> okay. and then get rid of
1: it on the internet uh you cannot do you that, can't do that. Yeah, that's no, i love i do love the like there's all these conversations i've seen on twitter where people are like you know just screen grabbing someone's nft and they're like you you can't do that that's mine it's like, <laughs> yeah. you don't know how nfts work <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it is. It is ridiculous. And uh, if you're a listener and you've purchased an NFT uh, thinking that it had value, you're absolutely right. For some strange reason, it has value today. I I will say this McRib one, this because they said they gave away 10. I
1: got to think this one's the most valuable one now because if it's not right.
2: <laughs> that's right. It's the famous
1: yeah.
0: McRib. The
1: McRacist rib. <laughs> the
0: McRacist. <laughs> oh, I'm going to
1: oh, cease and desist. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's already here. Yeah, oh, it's here. We've been contacted by McDonald's corporate. They are fast. Yeah, Ray
0: Kroc is going to come oh, beat the, your door down.
1: and. <laughs> I finally I found it. It's under this ad what it says. Uh, oh, oh, you found it. Yeah, yeah. You, you found it? Can't read it. Oh, yeah.
0: Can I, I, I read the, the last day. five words? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe.
2: <laughs>
1: um, no, I probably can't No, yeah, i was too clear. Yeah, no, way. no, it's good. Yeah, now I see why now. Uh. <laughs> yeah, see, I live a life of privilege. You do. Okay. All right, hey, uh, speaking of privileged, you might be privileged enough to join. Uh, that's not a bad segue. Let's start there over. Hey, we've got a webinar coming up, and we can just delete all that out from before this, right? Oh, it's in the blockchain? <laughs> this whole episode is in Never the Never ever. Oh, crap. All right, uh, next webinar, Cloud Computing Confidential Secrets to Leveraging the Cloud in Your Organization. That's taking place uh, with David Linthicum and Mike Roderick on Thursday, January 13th. So we're already in 2022 there. We reached the end of the webinars for 2021, but thank God. Um, but this one is about secrets to leveraging the cloud in your organization, and you can register for it at itpro.tv webinars. You can also see all the, the past ones we've done, like uh, one we just did, which is the most in-demand IT job for 2022, uh, which is fantastic. So if you're looking to, to get into a new IT career or, or switch gears, uh, this is a, a great one for you. And that's all available, the, the, both the upcoming and the past ones at itpro.tv slash webinars. Uh, and also hit us up over at technator.com, where you can see all the latest episodes. You can send in your Uh, Your mama jokes about Don, uh, Mm, Don's mom specifically. Yeah, (laughs) we love those. We got to get a
0: website, (laughs) donsmom.com. (laughs) <laughs> the, by the way,
1: the guy wrote back to me. He, he's like, oh, that was a, a reference to King of the Hill. And I was like, because I wrote, hey, Rusty, here's your. Oh, Rusty Shackle. Yeah, uh, here's your shirt, you know. But I put yeah. Rusty in quotes. And he's like, oh, that's a reference. I'm like, oh, don't worry, Daniel knew. So, <laughs> Daniel, Daniel always knows. I think I, I, remember it before I was at your
0: house one time, like, having a party. And you come up to me and you go, there was a show back on, like, in the 80s. And it had this guy and he had a toy. I was like the wizard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like he barely got the words. Wow. That it's like some weird obscure. show. Like, yeah, he went to the right person. Yeah, he did. <laughs> uh,
1: all right. Well, uh, there's also a big orange button on that technado.com page that says "Sponsored by IT Pro TV." Click on that, get a 30% off coupon code for the lifetime of your personal membership. You can also request a team trial and find out all the great features available to teams from IT Pro TV. Mm-hmm. All right. Fantastic. Well, as Don said earlier, um, this is the last of our live episodes, but we we have recorded two uh, new episodes that will go out these last couple weeks of December, which is going to be a lot of fun because we're looking back at our predictions from last year. We're we're playing some games. We're looking at our uh, favorite articles, favorite guests. Um, So it's it's definitely still timely stuff. Uh, Just no news, basically. It's the Chris Farley show. Yeah. Yeah. Remember remember, remember (laughs) the time? Let's play the clip. Yeah. (laughs) There it is. All right, but uh, you'll have to wait till next week for that. So uh, thank you so much to Jason Hicks for joining us from Coal Fire earlier, and thank you guys for joining us as well. And we'll see you next week right here on TechNATO with Tom Pizzette.